Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. You can learn more about the program and our church when you download our free Living Truth app. Now here's part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah chapter 14 called A Prophecy About Lucifer. God is compassionate. And he is going to keep his promises to Israel, and he will keep them to you as well. And the peoples, verse 2, will take them along and bring them to their place. This is interesting language because we know that the nations really kind of voted when Israel returned to the land, and there had to be meetings and that kind of thing. And the house of Israel, and this, remember there's near far, so this could be pointing in, on a sub-level, one level, to the return from Babylonian captivity. That's the, ba- the captivity under Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon. But in a far sense, the ultimate return of the people of Israel in the last days. And we've seen that happen. So they will take them, bring them to their place. That's the land of Israel. And the house of Israel will possess them as an inheritance in the land of the Lord. God has said that he has placed his name in Jerusalem as male servants and female servants, and they will take their captors, this is ultimate role reversal here, captive, and will rule over their oppressors. Acts 3, 19 through 21 says these words. Repent therefore and return that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Acts 3, 20. That he may send Jesus the Christ appointed for you whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things, about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient time. We know when that restoration takes place, Jesus will rule and reign from Jerusalem. Psalm 2 tells us that he will rule with a rod of iron. We're told in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 that the government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the Uh, extent of his rule, there will be what? There will be no end. And so he will rule, and we will have a place in this millennial reign of Christ. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of this. So it seems that we will be active in the millennium. And by the way, I don't think we're going to be playing harps on clouds. Uh, I don't know if that would be heaven to me personally. Can only take so much of that. I think we're going to be active. Worship will definitely be a big part, and I love worship. But I think we're going to be doing very human things. Remember that the new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven like a bride adorned for her husband, and we will be in resurrected bodies in the millennium. So you will be you in the resurrection. Sometimes we wonder, what will it be like? Well, we will be resurrected, glorified versions of ourselves. We may shine a little bit more. I'm thinking we're going to be about the age of 18 when we were in our prime. Those of you who are under the age of 18 are saying, what? But you'll figure it out. And I think that particular um, mode of life will be us. We will recognize us. Our identity, personality will not change, but we will know each other in deeper, more profound ways. Many times I've, I've stood up here and I've done a memorial service and Oftentimes, an older person has died, and so there's a picture of that person, and all you knew them as, you know, you knew them as grandma or granddad or pappy or whatever you call them, Aunt Pearl, <laughs> right? And there's a picture of them in their older days, usually, and then you'll see a picture sometimes they'll put, or maybe it's at a, in an obituary, 
And you'll see that person when they were young. And sometimes the grandkids go, wow, that's grandma? They say, yeah. They say, grandma was a looker, man. She had it going on. That's right, your grandma was young at one time, just like you, right? Well, in the resurrection, I think we're going to get that all back, plus some. And I'll tell you what, I'm looking forward to that day. And it will be, 14.3, in the day when the Lord gives you rest from your pain, you could translate that sorrow, and turmoil, you could translate that fear, and harsh service, that could be translated hard bondage, in which you have been enslaved. Now, you might want to just write in your Bible there, if you're a note taker, the Egyptian exodus. More specifically, in Exodus 1, and you might want to just write verses 11 through 14, we see that in order for Pharaoh to control the Hebrew population that was really bursting at the seams, he put them under the cruel bondage of their taskmasters. They found frescoes, that's paintings, um, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Reliefs, paintings of ancient Egypt where they'll show like a taskmaster and he's standing there overseeing work done by a slave, and there's someone behind the taskmaster recording the work on a tablet. This is found in ancient paintings. So we know that this was the case. This is what they did. And there was cruel bondage happening to the people of Israel. Uh, here the language is reminiscent of that uh, 400 years of bondage because it, notice it was sorrowful. There was pain, middle of three. There was turmoil, harsh service or bondage. They were in forced labor, in which you have been enslaved. Right now, they are, there are Christian ministries doing work, Zoe International, the Cross International, where they're going into places where there are children whose parents have died because of AIDS or starvation, and they have been put into forced labor. Sometimes they work in boats, in fishing businesses. This is, there's been exposés done on this. You'll see little boys, sometimes as, they're as young as five years old. They work 12-hour days in fishing boats, Owned by a master, their parents are dead, and all they do is work all day long. They get minimal amounts of food. They're basically on the payroll of a pharaoh. It's happening today. There are groups of kids that their parents have died, and there's maybe a young teenager, and he's trying to fight for those siblings, and there's no parents left. And sometimes those siblings are divided. If they're lucky, they get adopted in the, the same house, and sometimes they're split up in adoption. That's the best case if they're together adopted. But they're sold into prostitution. They're sold into brothels. This is happening in our world right now as we sit here comfortable on a, a beautiful night in Southern California. There are kids in this kind of forced labor, and there are men and women, I'm sure, who are going to be in the same situation as this person that we're talking about tonight, God will recompense what they have done. And I, you know what? I take rest in that. Because when we see all those negative news reports and we wonder, is something going to happen to that person that didn't get caught and did that to a child or whatever? Yeah, God's going to deal with them. And God, in this day, verse 3, and I want you to underline this because we all need to hear this, is going to give rest. What a great word that is, rest. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart, and in me you will find 
rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. When the Lord established a Sabbath day, he really established it around the premise of rest. God created the world in six days. On the seventh day, he rested. We have a Sabbath rest. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. This is Hebrews 4. So that a picture of our rest is in our salvation because we no longer have to work for good standing before God. So we have rest in our salvation. But there's a practical side of rest and what we call a salvific side. The salvific side of rest is salvation. I rest in the finished work of Christ. Thank you, Lord. I don't have to work my way into heaven. It doesn't make me lazy. It makes me more motivated to serve him. But I'm resting in the fact that the price is paid. Practical rest is something God also knows that you need. Some of you tonight need to really circle this word and apply it. The Sabbath day is to worship, but it is also for rest. And we live in a crazy world right now where so many people are running here, there, and everywhere that they get no rest, so they don't get enough rest. And rest is part of the way that God's wired you to recharge your batteries. And so everybody needs rest. There has to be a season where you allow yourself to rest. Go to Deuteronomy, Genesis, Exodus. Hold your finger in Isaiah. We'll come back. Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So you got the fifth book of Moses, Deuteronomy 5. This is the Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5 are the two places where you find what? Ten Commandments, right? Okay, Deuteronomy 5, look at verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, Deuteronomy 5, 12, as the Lord your God commanded you, six days you shall labor, do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 5.14, middle of the verse. In it you shall do not do any work, you, your son, your daughter, or your male servant, or female servant, or your ox, or your donkey, even the donkey gets a day off, or any of your cattle, or your sojourner who stays with you, so that your male servant or your female servant may rest, may rest as well as you. And you shall remember, 15, that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Here's another picture of rest. And the Lord your God brought you out of there by a mighty hand, by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Do you see how he ties the Sabbath day to the Exodus? He's saying you were in hard bondage and labor, and now you were delivered so that you might rest in me. Now, the reason that they didn't rest in God is because of what? What was the main sin of Israel in the wilderness wandering? Unbelief. They wouldn't believe God, although they had seen so many miracles. So there's two reasons why people don't rest. Either they don't know God, so that's ultimate unbelief, or sometimes as a believer, sometimes we walk in unbelief. Do you know what I'm saying? You can have moments as a Christian where you're walking in unbelief. It's not that you don't believe the gospel. It's not that you don't believe and trust in Jesus Christ, but you go, sometimes you can go through a season where you just, where you doubt or you struggle. Everybody has seasons like that. You're not alone. So what do you do if you go through a season like that? You go back to basics. Go back to your Bible. Go back to prayer. Stay in fellowship. Dive in as deep as you can into the things of God because doubt comes from the evil one. 
You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Join Pastor Michael Lance for the first free Apologetic 633 event of the year. We have a special guest, Scott Klusendorf, who is coming to deal with the issue of the sanctity of life and give us good, strong arguments for the pro-life position and just the important topic of human life that we're made in the image of God. Learn how to persuasively and lovingly defend your views in the public square. And he will do this from Scripture, but also just outside the Bible, just using logical and even scientific arguments. Interact with the 633 event in his image, A Case for Life, in a post-Roe v. Wade world with guest Scott Klusendorf on January 23rd at 6.33 p.m. Pacific Time. You're welcome to come to the free event in Southern California, but if you can't, it will be live-streamed on the Living Truth Christian Fellowship YouTube channel, and you'll be able to interact with questions from there. That's the Living Truth Christian Fellowship YouTube channel, which you can find on walkintruth.com. God bless you. Hey, keep the event in prayer, and hopefully we'll see you right here. Thanks for tuning in to Walk in Truth today. Did you know there's more where that came from? Download the Living Truth app to listen to more of Pastor Michael's teachings whenever you want. You can even watch videos. And if you're local to Southern California, you can get updates on church events, new studies, and more. Download the free Living Truth app today. We'd love to see who's listening. So please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walk in Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. Okay, Deuteronomy 5, look at verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, Deuteronomy 5, 12, as the Lord your God commanded you, six days you shall labor, do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 5.14, middle of the verse. In it you shall do not do any work, you, your son, your daughter, or your male servant, or female servant, or your ox, or your donkey, even the donkey gets a day off, or any of your cattle, or your sojourner who stays with you, so that your male servant or your female servant may rest, may rest as well as you. And you shall remember, 15, that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Here's another picture of rest. And the Lord your God brought you out of there by a mighty hand, by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Do you see how he ties the Sabbath day to the Exodus? He's saying you were in hard bondage and labor, and now you were delivered so that you might rest in me. Now, the reason that they didn't rest in God is because of what? What was the main sin of Israel in the wilderness wandering? Unbelief. They wouldn't believe God, although they had seen so many miracles. So there's two reasons why people don't rest. Either they don't know God, so that's ultimate unbelief, or sometimes as a believer, sometimes we walk in unbelief. Do you know what I'm saying? You can have moments as a Christian where you're walking in unbelief. It's not that you don't believe the gospel. It's not that you don't believe and trust in Jesus Christ, but you go, sometimes you can go through a season where you just, where you doubt or you struggle. Everybody has seasons like that. You're not alone. So what do you do if you go through a season like that? You go back to basics. Go back to your Bible. Go back to prayer. Stay in fellowship. Dive in as deep as you can into the things of God because doubt comes from the evil one. Did God really say did God really say that? 
and you have so many promises that you can hinge, so many things that can make you rest your head on the pillow at night easy, so many things that you know that have been filed in that compartment of faith, so many ways that the Lord has proven himself to you over and over again. But it's easy sometimes to look in a vacuum and forget all that God's done for you. So God says, take the Sabbath, worship me, and rest. Spend time uh, counting your blessings. Back in Isaiah 14, verse 4. So now we're going to look at the king who's caused these problems. And remember, I told you that many of the, many of the scholars see the fall of Satan in this. That you will take up this taunt if you have a New King James, it says a proverb, and that's probably more accurate to the Hebrew because this is really a figurative poem to express accurately the truth of the king or to bring to light who he is, Isaiah 14.4. Take up this dirge, you could say, negative song, taunt against the king of Babylon, whose ultimate fulfillment will come at the end of days in Revelation 17.18, where Babylon falls. And say, how the oppressor has ceased and how fury or his arrogant hate has ceased. Remember it says in Revelation 17, 18, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, right? She was so proud. She produced all this cool stuff. The world looked at her and said, wow, look at Babylon. And Babylon in Revelation 17, 18 represents the world without God, religion without God, or godless society. Started in the Tower of Babel, goes all the way from Genesis 10 to Revelation 18, when Babylon falls. And the, the fall is great, and there's a taunt even there. She's getting what she deserved. The king of Babylon is getting what he deserved in a song. The Lord, verse 5, has broken the staff of the wicked, the scepter of rulers. Notice the rulers are plural. The staff and scepter are symbols of authority, and God has broken them. No longer do you rule. No longer do you reign which used to strike, used to, past tense, verse six, strike the peoples in fury with unceasing strokes. Makes you think there of Egyptian bondage, but it also happened in Babylon. Which subdued the nations in anger with, notice, unrestrained persecution. That is again near far. It happened in the past and it's happening now in many, to many of our brothers and sisters and it's going to happen unrestrained persecution in the final Babylon or the Antichrist. The whole earth is at rest and is quiet. They break forth into shouts of joy. So we're going to see the response of the earth now to the fall of the king here. And the response of the earth is we can rest now. It's all quiet. We can shout even for joy. Notice the whole earth is rejoicing, which makes you think of the millennial reign of Christ. Verse 7, the whole earth is at rest and is quiet. Why? Because the oppressor's dead. And it makes you think of the Wizard of Oz. Ding dong, the witch is dead. The wicked old witch. But then we know she had a sister, <laughs> right? Just when you thought evil had left town. But there was a, there was a rejoicing. Uh, whenever someone who is an oppressor and has done a, a lot of damage falls, this is where people struggled with Osama bin Laden, they said, should we rejoice? Should we not rejoice? And there were Bible verses on both sides. Yeah, when an oppressor perishes, there is some legitimate rejoicing. After all, he was killing a bunch of people. 
You live by the sword, you will die by the sword. But at the same time, some said, but are we taking it a little too far? And there's a legitimate argument to be made there as well. But the reign of terror, the unrestrained persecution, end of six, the unceasing strokes, this person never let up. This king was wicked. Once he dies, well, the earth rests. There's quiet. Sometimes when an evil uh, force is removed from one's life, you can finally rest. You can finally say, you know what, that, that time is over. And some of you can really resonate with that because you know, you've known that. You've known that kind of pain. Even the cypress trees ate. Rejoice over you. Here, Isaiah will personify creation. That means he gives creation personality. The cedars of Lebanon, those mighty trees that were very valued, saying, since you were laid low, no tree cutter comes up against us. Now, here's how it would work. In these centuries of the kings of Babylon and Assyria, Assyria and Babylon, they're always cutting down these precious trees, the cedars of Lebanon, to build their war machines and their fortresses. And the trees now know, since he's dead, they're not going to cut us down anymore. Do you guys remember in the Lord of the Rings movies how the trees, you know, are alive? Oh, you know, the weird voices that come from the trees. I don't know if we're going to fight, you know. Well, anyway, why am I doing all the movies tonight? I don't know. That was even a bad voice of the tree, but, but you get the point. As creation is, takes on personality, the trees are rejoicing, man. This guy's not sending his people out to cut us down anymore. The trees are happy. The birds are singing, whatever you want to say. And later, the king himself, look at verse 19 of chapter 14. Here's what it says. You've been cast out of your tomb like a rejected branch. You cut down the trees, guess what? Now you're rotten. It's come right back on you. This is the reaction to the fall of the king. Even the trees sing at his demise. And now you get a picture of Hades. Well, all of a sudden now in the text, the camera pans down really low. And you get like a figurative picture of people who are in Hades, and in this case, Sheol, or the place of the wicked dead, and the camera pans, and it says this, King James says, hell, uh, New American Standard says, Sheol from beneath ex is excited over you to meet you when you come. It arouses for you the spirits of the dead, NIV says, the departed, all the leaders, literally goats, because a goat often led a flock of sheep, so it's a kind of an idea of a leader here. All the leaders of the earth who are there in Sheol, it raises all the kings of the nations from their thrones. It's not that they're sitting on thrones, but they had been kings prior. Their personality has not left them, though they're in Sheol, because when you die, you don't die, you still live. But you live in one of two places when you die. And there are no other options. For our Catholic friends, I'm sorry, there's no purgatory. You're not going to swing, swing a sledgehammer for a million years. You know, when my grandfather died, I spent probably every single night of my youth trying to pray him out of purgatory. And when I failed to pray, I felt guilty. Like I had a role in getting him out of purgatory? That was his decision between him and the Lord, not me, to pray him out of a place. And then I found as I studied the Bible, there is no purgatory. It's appointed unto man to die once, and after this comes the judgment. 
You've been listening to A Prophecy About Lucifer, Part 2 on Walk in Truth, Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah chapter 14. And don't forget, if you missed any part of today's program, you can listen to Walk in Truth on the Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Walk in Truth is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and we would love to connect with you. It's great to meet our listeners, and not everyone can visit the church here in Corona, California, although we recommend that you do. But either way, please connect with Walk in Truth on social media. Now here's Pastor Michael. We have a very special guest coming to Living Truth Christian Fellowship. His name is Scott Klusendorf from the Life Training Institute, ProLifeTraining.com. And Scott's coming all the way from Atlanta, Georgia, to preach at the morning services at Living Truth in Corona, where I serve as senior pastor, 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., coming back for a 6.33 apologetics training Q&A time in the evening. This is Sanctity of Life Sunday, January 23rd, and you can be part of it. When you go to walkintruth.com, click on the church tab, you'll get driving directions and more information. You can watch this via live stream on our YouTube channel. Search Living Truth and you'll find it there, Christian Fellowship. But it would be better, if at all possible, to come live and be part of the evening. It's always powerful. And you can find out information, driving directions, and everything you need at walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. God bless you. Hey, keep the event in prayer, and hopefully we'll see you right here. Bless you. And join us tomorrow for part three of Pastor Michael Lance's teaching in Isaiah 14 called A Prophecy About Lucifer. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.